0: we are looking at this topic of true change and um, we're looking at this topic of uh, transformation and you know there's a movement in the United States, there's a movement in the world today, especially in the West, where uh, people really want to experience change, uh, want to experience um, transformation there is a sense of uh, hidden discontentment uh, a, a dissatisfaction of where people are at where we 're at today. Uh, people want to change the way they look, they want to change their weights, they want to change their career, they want to change everything uh, and at the heart of it really is of the heart of this change movement or transformation movement is it can be it can be another form of human discontentment and I just want to ask three questions before I start this morning. And um, number one, and these three questions I think address this topic of change. And these are questions that I asked myself as I was preparing this. Number one, why do we want change? Why do we want change? Think of maybe a circumstance that you find yourself in and you would like to change that. Let me just ask why do we want change? Well, is it religious reasons? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it fear? Uh, am I looking or feeling bad about myself and I want to change that um, FOMO, fear of missing out do I feel like I'm missing out because I'm locked into a situation, I'm missing out on something and, uh, and I want to change that or do I deserve something better, do I, am I thinking look I deserve something better, I really do, uh, the second question I want to ask is what if God doesn't answer our heartfelt prayers and things don't change so, this is going to be an encouraging message. Please don't throw things at me. <laughs> what if things don't change? What if I'm really praying and nothing's really changing, it seems? What if my what if my um, plea to God is that, God, you would change me, or you would change this person, or change the circumstance, or change my conditions? What if it doesn't change? And I... Am I living in the fear of limbo where things are not changing and I'm in the midst of the lack of change? And here's the third question. What if things change? What if they do change? What if God answers your prayers, but we discover that we're still not happy? What if things change? What if you get the answer to prayer? What if you get what you want, wanted, uh, change or something majorly changes in your life and then it happens but you discover down the road that, whoops, I'm still, man, I thought I'd be happy, but I'm, I have this nagging unhappiness. What if that happens? And this is the story that we find in the text that we're going to read in a little bit. But here, here's really the answer. The, we can find the answer in two in two statements, I think. Number one, and I was on a plane last night flying in, spirit air. I thought, okay, I'm on spirit air. Holy Spirit should be in this plane, so I should prepare for this message. I was sitting... <laughs> I like them, by the way. They're good. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, just as long as you're ready to expect nothing, you're you're going to get what you expected. So, it's not a plug for spirit air, but, uh, but if we walk by the spirit, not spirit air, you will not gratify the lusts or the desires of the flesh. The answer is two ways. Why... We want change, and think with me this morning, why we want change determined or det- is to why we want change is determined by how we understand satisfaction, like okay, why do I want change? well, I, I have to look at my understanding of what does the word satisfaction mean like what am I satisfied by? you know what is satisfaction for me? am I satisfied in this fictional concept that if this happened I'm going to be satisfied and if my situation would change and the second answer is is how we define satisfaction so what is satisfaction how we define true satisfaction is how we define desire desire so I think the root of the matter is desire um, the, the King James uses the word lust but I think that there is that word in the Greek is bigger than that word lust and we're going to look at that in a minute and so how we define true satisfaction is really going to drive how we de- how we desire change. Okay? Are, we, are you following me so far? Okay. I love you guys. It's so great to be here with you. Um, really awesome. I was flying back, and I thought, man, this is just so great to be a part of this. It really is. I'm so blessed. I'm so satisfied. I, I'm not living in any form of discontentment here. I love this, what God's doing in our midst. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Paul says, "If we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." And this is the the English Standard Version. I think it does a better job in the Greek here. The desires of the flesh. Remember, what is the flesh? The flesh is that. Flesh is the flesh is like we are fleshly people with skin, bones, tendons. You know, we have a heartbeat. Most of us do in this room. We have blood pumping through. I'm just joking. Uh, we have blood pumping through our system. We have a, that is our physical flesh, uh, but was also there's a part of that flesh that is that is the old programming or the old the old image or the old um, the old um, system operating system of the old man that was crucified two thousand years ago, and that lingers and that wants to linger and it wants to usurp uh, our our thinking. And so if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And these, 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 um, this verse in verse 17 draws a picture of a tug-of-war. How many of you have ever done tug-of-war in school? It's like you are, uh, it is, you know, it is, you are pulling and then, you know, you get some traction and then something happens, somebody on the other end starts pulling harder and then your feet are sliding in and you're just desperately trying not to cross that line. And that line there is, is, is like, you know, that's the line in the sand, and this is the way a lot of people's Christianity looks like. Okay, okay, the Spirit of God is pulling in my life. I'm like, we got traction with God. And then suddenly there's another pull, and it's like going in the other direction. And I'm like desperately not wanting to cross that line. And it's like this, this major pull. And I would like to say that that is not the will of God for us to live in this continual battle in Romans chapter 7. God does not want you and I to be in this battle pulling back and forth and in this thing like, okay, God, I'm really trying not to cross that line, but I'm getting pulled in this direction. And we find ourselves struggling with desire. And this desire is, is defining our satisfaction. And this satisfaction, how we define satisfaction, is really is defining why we want change. And I want to just say, look, um, what's, the big, what's the big deal about change? and Why do we want it so much? And why is there such a change movement in the United States? And why is there such a... Um, and maybe it's sincere. Maybe somebody really desires transformation in their life. But we need to understand what does this word desire mean? What does this word desire? And I just spent some time... I, I'm a word guy. I really like words. I like to dig into words. I like I like uh, etymology. I like root words. And I like to know where roots come from. Where did that word come from? Why do we say it that way? And what does this word desire Well. This word, epithumia, that's Greek. And you can you can go home today and say I learned Greek in church today. Epithumia is really two. It's two words, epi and thumia. And I I dug into this word. And I love the Bible because every time you study it, there's something new in it, and it's like so rich. And I thought, okay, I know what that word means. It means is it lust. It means this. And I was digging into it. And I thought, okay, I'm on Spirit Air. I got lots of time. The guy was snoring next to me, a really big guy, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm gonna just put my earplugs in. I'm going to study this word epithemia, And I'm starting to read this word and it's so rich. This word epithomia is much bigger. It's a much bigger word than the word desire. It's much bigger. It's huge. Epi, you know, epi or epics, right? Where we get our word epic from maybe. It means like, it means the totality. It means the conquering factor. It means the fullness of something. It means that uh, it is the totality of something and it is controlling, it, it, is, it, is, um, it, is, uh, it is powering the situation. It's epi, it is the ultimate, it's the epic form. And epi is like a prefix describing the next word. So epithumia, what is thumia? Thumia is a word that comes from thumos, which is the word for mind. is that interesting? One of the translations is mind. And I discovered something I'd never seen before. Thumos is that part of the mind Get a little psychological here. Is that part of a mind in you that is connected to your nervous system? Okay, and it's a thought. It's a thought process that um, is connected. And my wife can correct me on this. Is part of the endocrine or endocrine? I can't even say the word. Is that part of the system where it's releasing chemicals and it's releasing uh, stuff into the blood that causes action? And so, epithomia really is that thought in the mind or that picture in the mind or that ideal in the mind that gets into your mind and it's literally affecting your bloodstream. It's affecting the way you're, it's affecting your nervous system. Uh, You are filled with this idea. It is like pulsating in your blood. It is, your nervous system is energized by it and it's a thought that is, it's a thought that comes into, a, into our mind that is connected with a drive and now resides in the nervous system triggering inevitable action. That's just my own definition. It is a thought that is now in a part of the mind where it is it's connecting with drive, whatever that drive is, and it now resides in the nervous system and it's triggering, is triggering action. It's triggering action. This is epithumos. This is... This is an overpowering thought that turns into an inevitable action. Wow. I just thought that was so loaded because this is what this means. It means that um, when we get to this point, we are already on the road of being pulled across the line. And epistemia is this overpowering thing and it doesn't necessarily only always mean a bad thing and i want to get to that in a second but there are two stories there are two situations that i remember of of two of guys that just got overpowered with something that they really wanted and it just overtook them and uh the first situation i remember uh, two or three years ago I was sitting down me and a couple other guys sat down with a guy and he was just like you know he he was he has a he has a wife he's in another country and a little uh, baby daughter and he was just intent like okay i'm leaving my wife and i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this other girl i'm just this is what i'm gonna do and so I, I sat down with him and a couple other guys, and I just remember looking at this guy thinking, my gosh this is like this is crazy I mean this guy is just like we we pleaded with him like we, we were not like we were not like beating him up or or like insulting him we were just saying like dude man like you got like this beautiful wife and you got like this little daughter baby daughter and he said oh. and we we're like why why are you doing this this is this is going to be so destructive and he and he was overpowered with this thought that he was going to move out and he was going to move in with this other other woman and this was like his epithumia he was he was overcome with this and there was no logical reason he said i just and we really just taught. We were just like, what? what's going on? Like, why are you doing this? And there was no logical reason. Epithumia takes over the logic part of the mind, and it just causes people to do insane things. And so, um, and he did that. And, and the story ends two, three years later that the girl he moved in with, uh, like, okay, ends the relationship, moves out, and then he's, and he's like his wife, he's divorced from his wife, little girl, and now he's on his own, and it's like that is crazy. That's that's epithemia. Another another example was is that when I was in New York, um, I think it was at last no the night before last, sitting in a pizza shop at eleven o'clock. What happens when you get a bunch of guys together, you know, without our wives, we wind up in a pizza place at eleven thirty at night eating loads and loads of pizza. Don't tell my wife that. And we ate two pieces of pizza. They were cooked by Albanians. All these Albanians and Bosnians live in that city, and I don't know why, but we were in this little town called Port Jarvis, and we're in this pizza place, and we're eating. And the the name of the pizza was called Garbage. That was what it was called. It was garbage. And when you look at the pizza, it was like, literally the pizza slice was like that big. And it had everything on the pizza, even the kitchen sink. It had so much stuff on it. It looked like somebody had taken, literally, a food garbage can and just emptied it on the pizza, but lots of cheese, so we ate it. And it was really good. And then I didn't sleep for a couple hours after that because my stomach was working. And I'm sitting there, and we're talking, we're fellowshipping, we're talking about the mysteries of the kingdom, we're talking about vision, what we're doing. And here we're just chowing out pizza laughing, and I get a text message from a guy that I've been investing in here in Houston. And he texts me, and he doesn't know it's me, but he thinks it's somebody else. And he texts, you ever get one of those kind of texts? <laughs> and he's like, he goes, he goes, um, uh, and he was using words I had never even heard my life terms. He was like, he, and he was actually he was actually um, uh, trying to sell me drugs, and he was like, "I got the bars of this and I got this, and whatever you 're paying now i 'm going to beat that price i 'm your man and I looked at the number and i didn't recognize the number I, I scrolled through my messages and I was like oh it's it's that person." And I wrote back, and I wrote their name and a question mark. Is this you? You know, is your phone hacked or something? Is this you? And he goes, yeah, I'm your man. And and I go, hey, this is uh, this is Christian, you know? So and he goes, oh, and then explicitive there. And he was like, oh, just disregard. I go, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, and I just started pleading with him on the text. He's like, oh, don't do this, man. You're going to, like, wind up, you know, it's just, please don't do this. And I remember pleading with him, not condemning him, but just pleading with him as a human being and just like with love for his soul. And I he's like, man, don't do this. Why are you doing this? You're just destroying your life and et cetera, et cetera. of just pure love for the guy, guy's soul. And he wrote back, he goes, you know, he, he had just some lame, lame excuse. And I was like, man, I thought epithymia, he's just overtaken with something and he's not thinking. Here's the problem. This is what, here's where the problem comes in. The problem comes in when churches or religion or religiosity or some kind of code, religious behavioral system tries to tries to um, remedy the situation. And this is what happens today in a lot of religious institutions. They are addressing the end result of epithymia, of, of these desires, and what they're trying to do what they're trying to do is they are trying to address uh, behavior without understanding what is desire. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? They're, they're trying to address the symptoms, the actions. Don't do this, and you've got to do this, and this is the culture of that. And do, and do you know what I'm saying? It's, it is a, um, it's a, an addressing of the, of the circumstance and of the behavior, and that doesn't work. You cannot, you cannot rationalize with a man or a woman who has just lost their minds and they are just going after something that they are just so, and, and a better word for that is over-desire or just there is this driving desire. And, um, and this is where the church fails. This is where religiosity fails. This is where programs change uh, of ch- programs of change fail because you cannot change that. Jesus came to this earth, and he was not looking to change people. Um, transformation and change is great; it's noble. It's a, it's a form of our achievement system that we live in in our American culture. Uh, we can there's a temporary f- better feeling about yourself until something until something else happens, and you realize it's not me changing that circumstance. It's not me cha- losing more weight. It's not me doing this, dressing like this, having these friends. It's about it's about a hole in my soul, and it's about something else. So I'd like to look at the life of Jacob briefly here. And I want to look at a story that God brought to my mind. And just remember this word epithemia. And this and epithemia is like a yearning, a desire, and it's a driving thing, a driving force. Let's look in, in Genesis twenty-eight, verse twenty and twenty-one. Genesis twenty-eight, twenty and twenty-one. And I want to give you a little background of what's happening here. So Jacob is Jacob has just married. He has Leah and Rachel. Um, Rachel was a diva wife. She was beautiful. She, was, she had, um, you know, and we see, and you know, the way Jacob describes Leah, uh, I'm sorry, Rachel to, to Laban. Laban is Leah, Leah and Rachel's dad. And Laban, this guy Laban, is the uncle of Jacob. And so um, Jacob... Is now, we find himself. He is in Laban's house, and he's working for Laban, and he's got himself into this program where he's trying to uh, dis- to manifest and realize his desires and his his picture, his guiding fiction, or his the picture in his mind of what he thinks that he really wants. And when we look here in Genesis twenty-eight, verse twenty. Before he goes to Laban's house, he has this experience with God. He is It is, it is right after a, a, a dramatic event in Jacob's life. Jacob is by himself. Uh, God meets him in the night. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you're by yourself and God corners you and God starts speaking to you and he starts ministering to you and he speaks very deeply to you. And there's this very deep communication going on. Not a conversation, but a deep deep communion going on. And so so Jacob discovers, I was just in the presence of God. Yet Jacob, at this point, doesn't understand who God is. He knows about God, but doesn't understand who God is. And this is really important. I, I, I want us to really follow this. And so Jacob wakes up, and he realizes, wow, you know, I was just visited by God. God spoke to me. I have this... I have this um, sense that God's in my life. And then so Jacob makes a vow in verse 20 and 21, and he makes this prayer. And I want you to look at this prayer and think about it, about how people define uh, satisfaction and and what motivates that, motivates them to initiate change in their life. So Jacob made a vow saying, if God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, (laughs) that I go and will give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear, verse 21, so that I, that I may come, so that I can come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Do you know something? He says this, if God's going to be with me in my way, the way that I want to take, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, uh, then he's going to be tr- and then bring me back home, then he's going to be truly my God. Now, that's an interesting prayer, right? And I think that that's a prayer that we can pray very easily. God, if you meet my needs, if you bring in change into my circumstances, if you do this for me, and if you're with me in my way, then you're going to be my God. And so God says, okay, this is where we're at. And so God is working with Jacob at this at this, at this, this place where he is in his life. And so Jacob uh, leaves, and he heads um, by his mother's um, Advice goes to Laban's house to save his life. He says, "You got to, you got to go to Laban's house. Uh, the situation you're in is, is life threatening." So he goes to Laban's house. Uh, he begin and and he he sees something that he wants in Laban's house, Uncle Laban's house. And he begins to work and he begins to make deals with Laban uh, to get what he wants. And and he says, you know, he says to his uncle, "Hey, if I work seven years, can I?" Can I get your daughter Rachel? And he says, "Yeah, go for it." So he works seven years. Laban tricks him, gives him his other daughter Leah, and then he's he's now he's in another situation. Where he's got to work another seven years. And what's happening with Jacob is is that the more he makes deals with Laban, the more deeper he's getting into like this un you know mess, and he, that he can't get out of. What does Laban represent? I was reading that last night. I thought Laban is like is like the is like the world system. The more you make deals with it, the more you kind of say, "Hey, this is what I want out of the system. This is what I'm going to do." The more the system pulls you in, and the more it entangles you. And, and Jacob is like talking to his wives later before he flees Laban's house, and he says, "Look, he says your dad has screwed me ten times. Ten times he's broken his promise, and everything that I own is really not even my own. This is like you know all all the stuff that I own, everything that I've achieved, everything I've acquired, it really belongs to Laban." And I'm stuck in Laban's house. And this is what happens with Jacob. Jacob has experienced the change of c- scenery. He's experiencing a change of situation. He's experiencing the change that he wanted, that he thought he needed. But now he's in this transactional relationship with Laban. And now, and, and Laban, Laban has got him. He's got, Laban's got his claws right into him. Laban is taking advantage of this guy. And this is a picture of the world. the system of religion, the system of of power, the system of money, the system of education, and all the systems that we live in in this world. And the more we get into it, trying to get what we want out of the system, the more we find ourselves in debt. It's the same thing with the law. The more we try to satisfy the law and satisfy that guilt and satisfy all of that stuff, that shame, the more we find ourselves embedded in it. So Jacob comes to this conclusion he's like I got to get out of here. I got to go. I got to leave. And he, and he makes this plan I'm going to leave. And he's thinking about something. And he's he's thinking in his mind we we read this later. He's got he's got he's got this understanding that he's going to go back to he's going to he's going to flee Laban's home. And we read this in Genesis 31, Jacob finally flees. He makes this plan and he, and he gets out and he's on the run. And and then what happens, Laban? Laban, because you know what happened. Jacob is in this circumstance with Laban, and he does. And he discovers I'm getting what I want. I got Rachel. I got Leah. I got all the I got all the cattle. I got everything I wanted. But there's something deeper that I don't that I'm not getting, and I, and, I, and I and and is something deeper that I need in my heart. And so Jacob figures out this stark reality that what he wants is more than a change of scenery, wealth, and his dream wife, but it's really something much deeper. It's a spiritual need. And this is in, and then he makes this, and then God speaks to him in Genesis 31 verse 13, and he says this, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. The God of Bethel, the God of the anointed pillar and the God of the vow. Something comes into Jacob's life. Here's the point I want to make. Jacob was being driven by this desire to have something, to obtain something. He gets it, and then he realizes this is not satisfying. Jacob understands, and this can happen in a Christian's life. Jacob understands that he's he's not understanding what does satisfaction mean and what his desire mean, and so God speaks to him, and he says, God says, "Now that you understand that this is not satisfying to you, I'm putting a new desire in you. I'm putting something into you, something that's already happened before at at Bethel, which means the house of God." And so, so Jacob flees Laban. Laban, Laban chases after him. He's going after jo- Jacob, and it's seven day chase. And 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 uh, Laban catches up to him, catches Jacob, and says, "Jacob." What have you done? You've taken my daughters. You've taken my things. You've taken everything. I could not even say goodbye. And what are you doing? You've also taken my things. And so Jacob... Uh, and then, and then Laban, Laban makes this incredible statement. And I want to make a big point here, and then I'm going to close. Verse 21 of, of chapter 31 of Genesis. Laban himself says this, And now you have gone away... Look at this. And you have gone away... Um, because you longed greatly for your father's house. You have left because you have desired your father's house. Guess what word is used there in the Greek Septuagint? Remember, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And and when the Jews were scattered abroad, the Roman Empire... Uh, they, they were being born into a, a Greek-speaking culture. I'm sorry, the Greek empire. They were, they were born into a Greek-speaking culture, and they did not know Hebrew, so they had the translation of the Old Testament in Greek. And what is the word that is used in this when Laban says, you have left because you have greatly desired your father's house? Do you know what he says? The Greek word there is epithumia. He says, you have so greatly desired your father's house that you've, you've done something crazy, radical and you're not, and it's not even logical, and you're on the run, and don't you realize that all of this is mine? And Laban himself confesses to Jacob that you wanted something more. You desired your father's house, Bethel, the house of God. Here's the practical point. We cannot change epithumia. We cannot change. We're not called, God has not called us to modify and change our flesh When we look look at an unregenerated or when we look at um, what we want in our life with an unrenewed mind, with a mind that's not quickened, we misunderstand what we truly want and what we truly need. And we we set off in this journey to Laban's house and we get wrapped up in these systems, whatever the system may be, religion, it might be career, it might be whatever. And we discovered this is not it, this is not it. This is not it and what I truly truly need and what I truly truly want is the Father's house. And that's the message that Jesus came when he came to this earth. He brought this message. He said, he said, I'm doing, I am doing. I am zealous for the, my father's house. I'm coming here to complete a work so that you could be my brother. Imagine that Jesus is our brother and the gospel message is that he's calling us into a new household. He has called us into a new household, that we are no longer part of Laban's household, which is the world, the system of religion that says, look, if you buy into the system and you, and you pay your dues, you're going to get this out of it. And that exists in churches, that exists in the, in the economic system, that exists in the world of relationship. You pay your dues and you're going, to get, you're going to get what you want out of it, but you're going to realize that it's not really even yours. And Jesus calls us into this new household and there's an anointing there. There is a pillar there that speaks of the faithfulness of God. It speaks of the presence of God. And Jacob is is now, he has a new epithemia. he has a new desire, he has a new passion in his life. It's an epithymia, it's the same word. Epithemia. is the same word, this over-passionate desire that's used when Jesus said in Luke 22 verse 15, with great desiring, I have desired to eat this communion with it. It's one of like for me such a powerful verse because it opens my eyes to the fact that God really wants to not only dwell in me but to commune with me. That's amazing. Epithemia, and in the Greek, it's like epithemia, epithemia. It's like with great desiring, I have desired. This is the same word in Luke in John. Excuse me, in John two, where it says um, the great rejoicing of the bride coming into the room. It's like the great rejoicing. I want us to understand this morning, if there's one thing that you can take out of here, is the great desire, the epithemia that goes beyond any logic re- logical reason that, that is an inevitable action that Jesus Christ came to this earth for the joy that was set before him, you and I. Jesus desires to commune with us he chases us down in, in, in Psalm 23. Mercy and grace are chasing us. And here's the thing, is that if there is some kind of, um, if someone is struggling with a yearning or a passion or a desire in their life that they can't seem to get victory over in their experience, the question here is not changing the 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 action. It's change, It is looking at it is looking at Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith that is already in our midst. And the Holy Spirit puts inside of us, has put inside of us a brand new creation, a new seed, a new man that desires with great desiring Jesus Christ. There is something in you and I that desires with great passion Jesus Christ. And it is called the desire of the Spirit and that's what it says in, in Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 and 16 that desire let's not get our eyes on let's get our eyes off of people's actions and behaviors and start talking to them about a new desire in their life and say if you could just see Jesus if you could just um, look to him there's going to be a he will renovate your entire uh, motivational system and 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 then we begin to de- redefine true satisfaction by understanding desire for God, and what is that and i 'll finish with that is the presentness of Jesus Christ uh, the word presence I, I like is is a word i mean, to get the presence of God, and the presence is not something that we conjure up in some way, but it is it is we he is present with us already and in us and we are sealed and there is there's no distance between us and God God is closer his spirit is closer to you today than you are to yourself he is closer to you than your feelings the holy spirit is closer to you than what you think of yourself he is already there and it is the presence ness of Jesus Christ it is You know when people say, hey, you've got to be present in this situation. Can you please be present in this conversation? That means in your thoughts you're all there. Jesus is all there in our life, in our midst. And if Jesus is in our midst, and he is, then just like the Ark of the Covenant, there is a blessing. Obed-Edom. Remember when the Ark winds up up in the house of Obed-Edom, and this is just random family. And they're like, okay, we'll take care of this Ark. You know, this, this relic or whatever this is, and we'll have, okay, put it right over there in that corner and right next to the dining table and, you know, that little, that, that little thing over there. And so what happens? The house of obed begins to be blessed by the presence of Jesus Christ, by the presence of God. And that is in us today. That is in us. It's not something that we need to attain. It's not something that we need to work for. It's not a transactional relationship, okay? It's not a transactional relationship where you've got to buy into the system and then when you, when you pay into the system, you're going to get this out of it. Jesus has already done that. He is in our midst. He is in us. He is the anointed pillar. It is God in our midst. And when we live in that, when we understand that, then, then, then Luke 15, we see Luke 15, verse 1, come to pass. And the common people, the publicans and the sinners, heard him gladly. Isn't that amazing? There's just something about Jesus that is so attractive it is so wonderful and we were singing these songs i didn't tell these guys what songs to sing today i didn't even know we were going to sing that song you know that before the message about the winds and the rain still know who spoke to him here below it's an old hymn that really ministers to me when he when we see him he's so attractive he's so attractive that the man who is killing christians who's knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, is overwhelmed by the adoration of Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is, the, what is the solution for change? What if things don't ever change? Can I say this? If things don't change, Jesus is in our midst. And that's enough. It's enough. And when we when Jesus is in our midst, in our trouble, in our struggle, with our conflict, with whatever's going on, with no money coming into the business, or this fear, or this shame, or this situation where I'm just continually failing and I can't get, I can't seem to get victory over it, and I want to withdraw and I want to go like live in some over desire over there. Jesus is in the midst, and if you make your bed in hell in Psalm 139, no. God is there. And no. guess what? When we recognize that, when we acknowledge that, everything begins to change. I wish I could communicate this in a more clear way, but the answer today is that people would see Jesus Christ. That's our mission here. That's our mission with whatever we're doing, the worship team or whatever we're doing, uh, you know, Wesley back there, you know when I'm, when I'm on the street, when I'm talking to the businessman on Monday morning, my mission is this is that these guys would see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. because when that happens, then change is affected, and I don't need to be delivered from the furnace. Jesus is in there with me with the Hebrew boys. I can be like Paul floating in the Mediterranean Sea, holding on to a board from a broken ship. And I'm there, and Jesus is with me. And I can be bit by a viper, you know. I can be bit by a snake and just shake it off because Jesus is in me. I just want to say, whatever you're going through today, and that yearning sometimes that comes over, it's like, I've got to get out of this situation. <laughs> you ever feel that way? I've got to get out of this. You know, I mean? man, God deliver me from this situation. Let's be delivered in the situation. Let's be released in the situation and see Christ. And when that happens, I don't know, change happens, whether it happens or not. And I just say, I'm, I'm, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. I'm satisfied because my definition of my definition of satisfaction is to see Jesus Christ, that we would see him. When I was coming here to church this morning, I was like, God, I just want to see Jesus in our midst, whatever happens. I just want to see Jesus Christ and people. Amen.